Good evening, everyone. God is good. I've gotten to see a lot of crazy things. I've been in ministry for a while, and I've gotten to work with kids and youth for, um, yeah, for quite a good bit. And there's been some crazy things. One of the crazy things I saw in, uh, I think it was 6th to 8th grade at the time that I was working with, and after service, two of the students are talking with each other, and one student calls the other student a kid. And in fairness, he's like 12 years old, so that fits. But he is not a kid. He is a very small young man, apparently. So he thinks. And so he was very upset by this other one's comment. So he decided that he was going to uh, settle this debt by picking up a metal chair, folding it, and trying to smash it over the other guy who called him a kid. And there was this great irony in this as he wants to be an adult so bad that he's ready to fight somebody and hurt somebody for calling him a kid. Except after he attempts to smash him with a chair, do you think he wants to be treated like an adult? Because if as an adult someone says something you don't like and you get mad, grab a chair and try to smash them over the head, that's an assault. In fact, that's, I think that's aggravated assault and you're probably going to jail for a small period of time, getting a large fine, and then going on probation. And so... There's this irony in this tension of, I don't want to be a kid, but I don't want the responsibility. I don't want the, the things that come with being an adult. I just want the, to be one. And, and there's this, this tension. And there's a bit of irony involved. And as I begin to think about it, first I laughed because it was, or first I was kind of annoyed because I'm like, what's going on? And don't hurt him. And, but after it's all said and done, like, this is kind of funny. It's kind of ironic. And we have this thought that we grow out of all of our stupid and that we grow. And like the whole idea that someone is immature, you think would automatically be remedied when they get old because now they're mature, they're, they're aged. But as I begin to think about this, I discovered something. Age happens automatically. Immaturity does not automatically change. I used to think that it did. Um, as you age, the different parts of your character would automatically change. But this just isn't true. The truth is that with time come opportunities. And with those opportunities, what you do determines whether you grow or not. And as I, as I begin to think about this, how many of you guys have heard someone say that 30 is the new 20? Anyone have heard that? Or is it just me? I'm in circles where I hear that on a regular basis. And they just talk about how culture has changed and what used to be considered like here by now they'll be mature has shifted by many years. And they're going, hey, there's, there's something that's changing and people are holding on to their immaturity. And I, I got thinking about it. I'm like, okay, video games. When I was a kid, video games were what kids did. Um, not, not all kids. At home, I, we did, I guess at one point we had an Atari. It didn't last very long. And then we probably broke it because there were three boys. And I don't know what happened to it. But my friend always had a gaming system. And it was cool. He always had whatever was, was, was cool at the time. And, and remember playing with him. And mom always being like, his mom going, okay, no, that, that's enough. You guys got to go play outside. You got to do something. You have like a limit of time that you can stare at a screen. And, and that's how it was. It was like, kids want to do stuff that's irresponsible. And adults remind them that there is a world outside of the screen and you have to behave. I looked it up today. 
the average age of a gamer, which is now billions of dollar industry, is now 34. And I got thinking about this, I'm like, okay, so it's like 34-year-olds and down that are playing. And then as I started to look at the stat, I'm like, no, it's not 34-year-olds and down that are playing. The average age is 34. Because they're playing far above that because we know that there's a whole lot of little kids that are playing. So if the average is 34, it's because there's a whole bunch of people north of that that are playing to help, help balance it out. And it just like shocked me, not that video games are evil, but just we don't automatically grow out of things. That it's very easy for life just to happen to us one day at a time and we just keep waking up and assuming that because another day has passed, we are smarter and that we are closer to where we want to be just because we are still, it's just a new day. And, and I, I learned something. You don't end up somewhere because you desire it. You end up somewhere based on your choices. And a lot of times there's just this, this thought, maybe it was just me that had this thought that I was going to end up somewhere simply because that's where I wanted to be. It was like, I have a dream, therefore I will get there. It's just a matter of, of time. But your habits, not your dreams, shape your future. So choose habits that will take you to your dreams. As I got looking at this, I got thinking about what is the secret to your future? What is the secret to your dream? And as I began to look at this, I, I looked at somebody who had a dream. Kind of had, had a dream and a gift kind of poured out on him. David was a young boy. And as, as a young, young boy, his dad doesn't seem to value him as much as his brothers. His brothers all get to go to a, uh, a feast deal where someone's going to get anointed. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to leave you behind. But the prophet, and if you haven't read the story, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, you can go ahead and read it. I'm kind of skipping through some stuff. But... Here's what you need to understand. David's dad forgets about him, calls him, calls him up to the prophet, looks at his brothers and goes, these aren't the one. Do you have any more? Like, yeah, there's little guys out in the field. Go get them. He comes. They anoint him and say, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Now, how old David was when he's anointed, I don't know. But he was not ready to be king yet, but that would be pretty exciting. Could you imagine being in junior high and having someone come up and be like, you're going to be king. And they anoint you with oil. You're like, yeah, king me. Yeah. Like, you just, I, he's got to be excited. And so you've got this dream. Like, this dream was like poured out on him with this oil from the prophet as he prophesied that he's going to be the king. But you know what happened the next day? He went back to watching sheep. Like, literally, it's like, you're king. And, I, and as we read through his story, we discover that his brother's did not have the highest opinion of him. And it may have been because he was so awesome that they were just jealous because that happens among brothers. There's this rivalry and they try to compete for who's, who's dominant in the home. At least that's kind of what happened in my home and it happens in my home as I have three little boys and they fight over things and try to like see who's stronger. Anyways, it's the fun of having three boys. There's lots of wrestling, occasionally holes in walls and um, lots of them beating each other up. But anyways, point. We, we find later that David's brother begins to like mock David. Well, who who'd you leave those few sheep with? And I can just, as I begin to see this context, I see him sitting here after David's been anointed, seeing him watch the sheep and his brother's coming by. Hey, hey, look, it's the king of the sheep. 
and just like they're mocking him. He seems to be stuck in this spot where he's got the dream, but the dream seems so far removed from where he's at. And I think that for a lot of us, this is a spot that, that we have been in where there's a dream and we're like, well, the dream is so far away. The dream seems untouchable at this point. And so it's very easy to just kind of let go of the dream. But David seems to hold something while he's there. And David doesn't lose it. And as some time goes by, his brothers are off at war. And his dad says, hey, I want you to go down to your brothers. Take some bread. Take some cheese. Take this down to your brothers and to their commander. And he goes down there, and when he gets there, this massive guy comes out. While he's talking with people, this guy, he's about nine foot, nine inches tall. He is huge. He has been, he's not just, have you ever seen somebody really, really tall and skinny? Like, they look like toothpicks, and just, you're like, whoa, you're on stilts, but they're attached. Um, and sometimes we, I picture Goliath, and you're like, is he just tall? Because that's what I picture when you picture someone really tall. But it said that he'd been a soldier since he was a youth. He was... He was around when they didn't have all of the fancy machines that we have now. You get a flat tire, you get a jack. But if their wagon breaks a wheel, I'm betting the guys around there are like, just go call Samson. Yeah, no worries. Let me just pick that up for you, fix that. Like, he, he's been doing brutal work for a long time because that's just kind of how people lived then. So he's, this guy's big. And he, this, this guy is coming out and he's defying the armies. And David goes, what's going to happen to the guy who fights the giant? And his brother overhears him talking to somebody and, and his brother comes up. He's like, what do you think you're doing? I know the insolence of your heart. You just come down to watch the battle and to watch people die. Who'd you leave those few sheep with? And he just kind of gets mocked like what he was and what he did was insignificant and like it didn't matter. But yet he's got this big dream. And he doesn't let his brother's comments limit him. He just turns to somebody else, goes and begins to talk, talk with them about the same thing. Worry gets back to the king. He goes before the king. And when he comes before the king, the king was so excited that somebody was asking about fighting the giant until he sees David. And when David walks in, he just looks at him and goes, oh, you're just a boy. And like, that would be disheartening. You're like, yeah, I'm the man. I've got this. And they walk in. It's just you. Oh, you can't. And David looks at him. David talks with him and goes, this unfilled, rewind that. Okay, he goes, goes up to him and he's like, okay, God, when I was watching my father's sheep, there was a lion that came one day. And when the lion came, I grabbed it by the mane and I beat it to death and took back my sheep. Another time, a bear came and tried to take my sheep. I struck it and I killed it. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different. And it wasn't a rude comment to the Philistine. It was a comment stating that this Philistine does not have a relationship with God. And I do. I have a covenant. I have a promise with God. And this guy will be delivered in my hand. God will protect me just like he protected me then. And Saul takes a step back and goes, wow. Okay. And this is what I caught, that for years, David thought he was doing something that didn't have value. Nobody seemed to value what David did, but David treated it like it was valuable. 
David didn't go, oh, well, there goes the sheep. Don't come back, please. He, he took this serious. He took responsibility. He took ownership. What do you think he did for day after day out there? You have a little boy in a sling and you're stuck in a field. What's he going to do? He's going to practice. He's going to shoot everything in the field other than his sheep because he'll get in trouble for that one. So he's sitting here and he's, he's going to have hit every rock that was around, every bush, bird, leaf, you name it. He's going to practice. And then he took his responsibility serious. And now when he stands in front of the king, the king goes, you can't. He goes, this is what I've done. In the land that was forgotten, in the spot that nobody thought mattered, here's where I was faithful. And the king goes, okay. Maybe you can do it. Maybe I can make you just like me. And he puts him in his armor. And David goes, I, I, th- this, is, this is untested. This, this, this isn't going to work. This is awkward. This is heavy. I, I, can't, I can't fight him as you because I'm not you. But let me use the gifts that I have. And Saul lets him go. He goes, picks up a few stones, steps out into the, the field. And the giant looks at him and goes, what? Think I'm a dog that you send a boy with sticks and stones? I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And David just simply responds, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Puts that stone in the sling, zips it around, launches it, nails the giant in the head, drops him where he's at, takes the giant sword, cuts off his head. And it was this crazy spot as this is what launched him into the public eye. This is what launched him into position for what God had called him to years later. But the reason he was able to step into that position was because of what he did when everybody thought it didn't matter. It was his faithfulness that chased down a lion. His faithfulness that stood up to a bear. His faithfulness with his sheep that opened up the door of opportunity to be king. And it was this this crazy thought that it was the thing that seemed like nothing What prepared him for his call was found in the days that didn't seem like they mattered. It can be easy to get a bad attitude when you're in the spot that seems like it doesn't matter. When you feel like right now, uh, the Bible says this to to Jeremiah. He looks back and he's like, it doesn't matter, God. I'm, I'm just too young. And this is what God says. Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all for all, to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And he just sits here and says, no excuse will work. I want to use you right where you're at. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. He says, I have a plan for you. I have made you specifically for this plan. Do not discount the place where you are now. Because there's this tendency to go, well, Someday I'll be something awesome, but right now this is boring. This is, this is not significant. And to just let today slip by and hope that by tomorrow or by another day something great will happen. And that's just not the way it works. You have to start today. See, today is tomorrow's practice. And the key to your future is hidden in today. We have to look and go, okay, if you want to be, if you want to have a great relationship with God, when are you going to start reading your Bible? If, if you want to get your truck paid off, when are you going to start making those payments? If you want to be 
if you want to have an awesome marriage, how are you treating your spouse today? Because so often we have these dreams, but our actions today are disconnected from the dreams that we have for tomorrow. Muhammad Ali said this. He said, the fight is won. If you don't know who Muhammad Ali is, he's a famous boxer who just was awesome. And he says, the fight is won or lost far away from the witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym, and out there on the road long before I dance under those lights. He goes, it's not what you see there that's the win. He goes, that's the fruit that's from hours and hours and hours of preparation. See, the problem is, for many of us, we have a Peter Parker dream. If you don't know who Peter Parker is, he is Spider-Man. And as a little boy, I thought Spider-Man was awesome. He was this regular kid slash nerd who was really smart. But one day he got bit by a super spider. And all of a sudden, he was awesome. He woke up and he had superpowers. He was stronger. He was faster. He had extra senses. He could jump. He could flip. He could stick to things, shoot webs. I'm like, this is amazing. Where is that spider? Bite me. Like, but so often, what we want is to get bit by the super spider of time. We think that just someday, I'm going to just go from here, I'm going to get bit by awesomeness, and I'm going to become everything I've dreamed I'd be. Why? Because I'll be older. Because it will happen. Because it's my dream. And there's this tendency to just assume that someday it'll happen. This is what the Bible says in Luke 16.10. One who is faithful with very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? If you have not been faithful in what's another's, who will give to you what's your own? And there's this idea that we often want it to come, but he goes, what are you doing right now with what you have? Because if you aren't faithful now, you won't get the more later. He goes, it's all about what you're doing with what you have. But it's so easy, as I was thinking about how easy it is to get lost in today, we often do things that we don't approve of because we disconnect our destination from our today. I was looking back, and years ago, my wife was dating somebody. Uh, it wasn't me. And it, let's just say he was not a top-notch fella. And it wasn't very hard for anybody to tell. But she kept dating him. You're like, why are you dating somebody who's not awesome? And it wasn't until there was like literally an intervention where a bunch of friends and her dad all got together and were like, what are you doing? What? He treats you like poop. Yes. Why are you with him? Well, what would you do if one of your small group girls was dating someone just like him? Well, I would stop them and I would... I better stop me. But it was so easy to disconnect today from the dream, from the future. And I thought, well, is this just like a unique emotional situation? 
And then I thought about New Year's resolutions. And I, I read a New Year's resolution that I thought is, is worth reading to all of you. It says, my New Year's resolution is to do last year's resolution, which was also the previous year's resolution. And that's where a lot of us sit, where we're, every year we look and we go, what I'm doing right now is not producing the results that I want it to. This year, I'm going to start doing these things because I need them to produce results in my life. And sometimes it's going, hey, I am not as smart as I should be. I want to start reading this year. Some of, you know, one of the other really common ones is going, I am not in good shape. I'm going to start getting in good shape, whether that's by exercising, by changing the way that I eat. And then there's all these jokes about how long these resolutions last. They're like, they're recognized, this is what I should be doing, this is what will get me to my dream, and six hours later, it's over. And some people make it a little bit longer than that, but there's this easy disconnect, and there's this thought that if I just keep going, somehow I'll get there. But here's the truth, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And a lot of us think, well, I keep practicing, so therefore I'm going to get it right because we've kept hearing practice makes perfect. But I was looking at somebody the other day who was typing. And if you ever took a typing class, the way that you're supposed to type, all, all ten fingers stretched out, you get on here, and there's a spot for each finger to hit keys. And what this guy was doing was this. And honestly, he was one of the fastest, like, search and destroy typers I've ever seen. He just... And so I looked it up. I'm like, how fast can someone in the hunt and peck typing method, how fast can they go? And it goes, if someone is really fast like this, they can get up to about 40 words per minute, which is really impressive for just using two fingers. And I watched him, and he's probably close to that 40 words per minute. of just. But he'd been practicing this for years. And so he's hitting a wall of 40 words per minute. So I'm like, okay, how fast can someone type if they actually open up their hands and use their fingers like they're supposed to? What's fast? I started reading stuff and they're like, once you get over 100 words per minute, that's fast. That's really fast. And he goes, there's some assistance that'll get a good, good bit above that, but, and it just blew my mind that if you'll dedicate yourself to it, there's this massive potential, but if you practice it wrong, there's a ceiling that you're going to hit. And I begin to think about this in other areas of life and realize that a lot of times we practice things in ways that are going to put a cap and they're going to stop us from getting to the dream that we have. That God's placed dreams in our heart. We've got dreams of getting promoted. We've got dreams of, of having a position of influence at work. We have dreams of having an awesome marriage, of having a great relationship with our kids, of having an amazing walk with God. We have dreams for our finances. We have all of these different dreams that we have, but we go, will those dreams ever become a reality? Whether or not those dreams become a reality depend on today, because they won't happen just because more days have gone by. I was looking at Joseph. Joseph, again, is another one who had a dream. Joseph had an amazing dream as God placed in his heart that his family would bow down to him, that he was going to have this position of leadership. And he's like, this is awesome. And he tells his brothers and they're like, you're an idiot. And he's like, that's okay. You're going to bow down to me. And they're like, shut up. And they get mad at him and some more time goes by and they decide to beat him up. They think about killing him. 
And they decide, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. And they sell him. And they go from selling him, he, he gets sold again into, into Egypt, into slavery. But here in slavery, he makes a choice. He goes, you know what? This is not where I thought I would be. I did not picture myself as a slave. But I will be faithful right where I am. I'm going to... I'm going to serve just like I was serving God. And he begins to just serve his best. And as he does, it says that everything he puts his hand to was blessed. And he began to rise in his master's house. And he gets all the way up to being just underneath his master. Where his master goes, everything you touch is blessed, so take care of everything that I have. Just, I might pick what I want to eat. Otherwise, it's on you. And he just doesn't concern himself with anything because Joseph is so faithful. But his boss, Potiphar's wife, sees him, notices him, says, hey, come sleep with me. And he goes, no, no. How could I do that great wickedness before God? He goes, I am acting, I am behaving in my present position towards God. And when he does this and he says, you know what, I'm going to live to please my master. I'm going to be diligent in the place that I am. She goes, I don't like it. Lies about him, he gets thrown in jail. And again, he goes, this is not where I thought I would be. But I'm going to be faithful right here, right where I'm at. And as he's faithful, the jailer notices. And it's pretty impressive to be a prisoner and to be so faithful and so honorable and to honor God so much that the jailer goes, hey, and he works his way up till he's taking care of all the other prisoners. He notices when they have problems and he in, ends up interpreting some of their dreams and they get out and forget about them for years. Eventually, Pharaoh has a dream and somebody remembers him. And when they do, they call him out of prison and he goes from prison, he ends up in front of Pharaoh, interprets Pharaoh's dream, becomes the second most powerful person in the most powerful nation in the world at the time. But here's what's crazy. Before, when he was in prison, and he gets called in front of Pharaoh, most of us would be like, yes! And we would just like go running towards Pharaoh. But in his time, in spots that seemed like they were lousy, in spots that seemed like they didn't matter, Joseph learned their language. Joseph learned their culture. Joseph learned about how much they eat. He's been feeding people and taking care of everyone in the prison. He learned that Egyptians despise beards while Hebrews love and value beards. So he as a Hebrew has a beard. He's going to go stand in front of Pharaoh. So he says, wait, let me shave. Let me clean and let me shave before I go stand before Pharaoh. So he has now gone into a position that the person that he's going to see is going to respect because when he was in a position that nobody thought mattered, he was faithful and it grew him, it stretched him, and it prepared him. So when he stood in front of Pharaoh, he was ready to interpret the dream, then he was able to give wise counsel and it opened up a door to what God had for him. And it began to make his dream come true because he had been faithful in that which was another's. He had been faithful where he was and he had risen to the top because he put God first and said, I will be faithful right here and let that begin to open doors for me. And it's this amazing thing because he was faithful with little. And as I begin to, to look at this, I realize that, that most of us 
aren't in prison, because if you're in prison, you probably aren't here. But most of us have dreams. And I begin to look at it and how easy it is for us to go, I should get in shape. And we go, well, how should I get in shape? You're like, I should probably go to the gym to get in shape. But who wants to go to the gym when they're out of shape? And it's this like cycle where they're like, well, I'm not going to start because I'm not in shape. And you're like, well, you're not going to get in shape until you start. And you have to start somewhere. And I've talked to people who are like, I want to get promoted. I have a job that's horrible. And you go, well, how do you work really hard? They're like, no, this job is horrible. You're like, well, if you aren't faithful there, why would they promote you? Well, they're like, well, anybody could do this job. Like, well, yeah, but are you doing a good job at it? Well, no, because I don't like it. Well, if you want to be promoted, you'll have to be faithful where you are. You talk to people and they're like, I want a good marriage. And like, well, how do you treat your spouse? Are you loving your spouse? Are you pursuing her? Are you saying nice things to her? Are you valuing her? Are you telling her that she's beautiful? And they're like, no, because she's horrible. Yeah, and she treats you horrible. You want to know why? Yeah, because you're horrible. They're like, what? Like, well, somewhere, Palm, you know, someday somebody did something stupid. And the other person was like, well, that was bad, so I'm going to respond bad. And then you said, I'm going to respond bad to your bad. And, and so the cycle began to go down. Said, if you, if you want to have that marriage of your dreams, stop waiting for them to do something amazing. You just start treating them amazing. You start treating them in the manner that you want to be true in that dream that you have. And when you begin to do that, then they can begin to respond going, oh, wow, I want to honor him because he just loved me, because he just is beginning to speak kindly to me, because he's beginning to help me, because he begins to value me, or vice versa. And it goes to go, oh. And all of a sudden, the cycle begins to change, and you begin to head the direction that you want to go. Because your future is built out of the choices that you make today. All the time, people say, I want to have a relationship with my kids. And it's so common when they're in high school for parents to be like, let's talk. But so often, the student says, where were you when I wanted to talk? Because I wanted to tell you about my Lego tower. I wanted to tell you about the really stupid cartoon that I watched. I wanted to tell you about the imaginary T-Rex that was eating the tiger. Maybe that's just my kids. Okay, but this is the point. They wanted something, and we said, oh, it doesn't matter to me yet. But the future is built out of the past. And so when we make these choices today, we can shape the future. And there, there's, there's forgiveness, and you go, well, when's, when's the best time to start? Now. If you've got these dreams, start now. A lot of years ago, uh, I was out fishing with my dad, my brother, and uh, a friend. And our friend is his boat, and we're zipping along. We've been fishing all day. We're zipping back across Lake Michigan, and all of a sudden the engine starts going. <laughs> That's not a good sound. And so he opens the engine cover. There's water in there. He's like, "Hey, Pastor, stop the boat!" Dad stops the boat, and all of a sudden water just starts coming in. And all of a sudden there's water coming in over the floorboards of the boat. It's going up. My dad, I already had a life jacket on because I was little. My brother had, my dad put a life jacket on him and said, see that? I mean, I'm like, the shore? He's like, yeah, swim that way. And throws us overboard. And so we just start swimming. And he's 
he's talking with the captain of the boat, and the boat's continuing to fill up with water and starting to sink, and he looks at my dad, and he goes, I don't know how to swim. And he was a very large man. And the only life jackets he had were those dink little orange ones that you put on like a little kid and you carry just so that you can say you had a life jacket on the boat. And so it's like a joke because it just like goes like here on him and it was not going to do the trick. And he looks at my dad, he's like, I don't know how to swim. Now my dad's a great swimmer. But this is the wrong place and time for a swim lesson. When you're a half a mile out into the open water and your boat is sinking. And luckily, another boat that we passed a while back came just before our boat tipped straight up and he was able to jump off of the boat that we were on, one bob down and onto their ladder and climb up and was saved. So he's, he did well. But a lot of us wait until our boat is sinking and then try to fix things. We go, you know what? I'm going to treat my spouse however until something comes up and we realize that our marriage is completely shattered. They sit here and go, I'm just going to work however I feel like it until I'm going to lose my job. You know what? I'm not going to spend time with, like, they don't pursue what God has to say about healing until the doctor says, hey, you've got a terminal disease. And there's so often that there's things that we want, but we just sit where we are and figure that those will happen someday and we don't take it on right now. But the key to your dream and to the future is hidden in today in making the most of right now, of going, I will be faithful with what you've given me. I will take a start going, if this is my dream, I will start today. I will start. Are the choices that you're making today going to take you to where you want to go in the days ahead? And in, like, no time. Three things. There's three things that matter. Your relationship with God, your relationship with people, your family, your friends, your co-workers. Are you putting God first in that first category? Because if, if you're not, start today. If you found out that you were going to die tomorrow, would you be happy with the relationship with you, that you have with people? If you look and you go, no, I don't have a relationship with my brother, sister, father, mother, cousin. You say, you know what? No, I wish. Make it right today. And then your purpose. Your purpose matters. Are you letting God use you today? Are you serving? Are you sharing both, whether it's both finances and are you witnessing? Are you, are you sharing what God's given you? Are you giving? Are you a representative of God representing? Are you living the life today that's going to take you to the tomorrow that you want to have? If not, let me challenge you. that The tomorrow that you want will only come if the choices that you make in your todays take you there. Can I get everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here, and as we look at this and we talk about our tomorrows, if your tomorrow was standing in front of God, you don't know what it would look like. 
You don't know if you're, if you're ready to see him. You don't know if, if, if you would spend forever with him in heaven or not. You can know. You can make a choice today that determines where you'll end up later. He says that whoever calls on his name, whoever declares him to be Lord, will be saved. And if, if you're not right with him, I want to give you an opportunity right now. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. So that's me. Awesome. I see your hand. Who else says that's me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that I'm right with him. Awesome. You can put your hand down. We're going to say that simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and repeat after me. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Give them a really big hand.